Now, the uh, message today is what the gospel is. In the last couple of weeks, we've been kind of hitting on some elements. Uh, they're like spokes in the wheel, if you will, on what, what is our purpose. I mean, the importance of living out our witness. And so, what better way than today to hear just a, a, a brief message on what is the gospel? When you think about the gospel, if we were to break down the gospel, and we were to break it down so, uh, to make it so simplistic that maybe we would remember the things that we need to remember uh, above everything else. There's just four points to the message today on what the gospel is. And um, I want you to think about this. Do you remember, you probably don't because you were a little bit too young, but do you remember the time when you would, I guess you're going to bed or maybe it's in the afternoon, your mom's reading you a story and you hear those four words that began story time and those four words were once upon a time. Now, do you remember when you were little hearing those four words once upon a time? would send excitement and joy. Uh, you would get excited because you are fixing to go into a world of make-believe. You're going to go into a world of, of things that, that are exciting, fairy tales. Um, if you're a girl and if you're, you're, a, you're a guy, you're hearing stuff about dragons and, and everything else. It's that once upon a time. And then, like a lightning bolt, everything ceased to give that excitement because just like an explosion, the day came when you grew up. Those words, once upon a time, it didn't do anything for you because you realize that's just kid stuff. It's just for little kids. It's not real. It's not genuine. Reality now consisted of more than just kid playing games and stories of things that will never, ever happen. This is the time when you've reached your, into the, the period in your life when you realize that life is about a battleground and not a playground any longer. So it just doesn't, it just doesn't do anything. You needed something real. The search for something real, obviously, is not anything new. Uh, it's been going on since the beginning uh, of time. I mean, mankind has looked for reality and satisfaction and wealth, thrills, con uh, conquest, power, um, knowledge, and, and even religion. And these things mentioned are not necessarily wrong in and of themselves, um, but they never satisfy either. Wanting something real and then finding something real are two separate things. Are two separate things. Today, we're going to look at a few verses in the book of 1 John because I want you to notice how John was approaching the, what he wrote in the mindset of what he was thinking because to John... This is very real, what he's about to communicate. So, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, 
is the first point of the message today. And this is when John said these words. He said, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld and our hands handled concerning the word of life. And then he goes on. The first point in your message is the most important point of the entire message today. And that is the gospel is a person. In your notes, if you're taking them. What is the gospel? It is a person. You know, a scary thing about being raised in church or being plugged into church for as long as you can remember, for those of you that have experienced that, is that you can hear certain words and it loses its meaning because you've heard it so many times. It just doesn't pierce through to you like it does to those who are new to the faith, really excited, really on fire for Jesus. Um, and I think the most important thing for us to remember today is simply this. We can confuse things. We can make things long and drawn out. But I need to ask you, what is the gospel? And immediately we could go into the Roman road, steps of peace with God, how to have a full and meaningful life, all the different tactics that we use as we witness to people. But you want to know what the gospel is, y'all? It's a person. You want to know what heaven is? Heaven is a person. It's a person before it's a place. Because we're not going to be going there unless Jesus is with us and he's in our heart. Unless we've been converted, we're not going to go. Heaven is a person. You know what the gospel is? It is a person. It's not about what we do because of what the Bible asks us to do in serving Him by being active in a church or going for the big dunk or all the things we do, all the camps. It's a person. We do what we do because a person has done all that He could do to get us there. That, you want to know what the gospel is? The gospel is Jesus. It is Jesus. And when you recognize that in you, I need Jesus, then you got the gospel. And you not only got the gospel, but you know where you're going. And you know the direction of how you're going to get there. Why? Because you recognize the most essential thing about the gospel, and you know what it is. It's a person. This is where we find the Apostle John today. In his first epistle, there's 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John towards the end of your New Testament. In the, in the epistle of 1st John, written centuries ago, uh, John deals with a theme that is very much and forever, it is up to date. It is not make-believe. It is very real. John discovered the satisfying reality is not ever going to be found in thrills, conquest, wealth, power, knowledge, and even religion, it's not going to be found in that. It's going to be found in a person. That person, y'all, is Jesus. He is the Son of God. John didn't waste a second getting to that point in this letter. 
from the, what did we read in, in, in verse 1? What was from the beginning? What we have heard. What we have seen with our eyes and our hands handled concerning the word of life. When John is writing this, you know what he is saying to you and what he's saying to me? He is saying, we were there. We were right there. We were with him. What was from the beginning, what we have seen. Let me tell you for a moment what we saw. Because we were with him for three years, every day, all day long. So much so that John says at the end of his gospel that if all of the things Jesus did were written in a book, even the earth couldn't contain the books. That's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of stuff. And we don't, we don't know what it was. It wasn't recorded. All we have is a snapshot picture of some of the things that he did. And what is John saying? John is saying, we saw him. Why? We were there. And then he said, what we heard, what our hands handled, we touched him. We were with him. And then he said, concerning the word of life. Remember, what did Jesus say? Jesus said about himself, he who has seen me has what? Has seen the Father. Jesus literally was telling everyone around that was listening, you want to know what God is like? Look at me. You want to know what the Father uh, has, a, appears to be? Look at me. You want to know what's in the mind of God? Listen to me. You want to know how to approach God? Watch me. You want to know what everyone in their deepest point of their heart wants to know, which is what does it mean to have purpose and ultimate meaning in life? Gaze upon me. And here is John, and he is literally laying this stuff out right off the get-go. He doesn't build up to it like you read in all of the other uh, letters in the New Testament. He just goes at it, verse 1. Why? Because the gospel, it's a person. It's not a philosophy. It's not a teaching. It's a, it's a person. Um, John was quick to point out that Jesus alone is the difference maker in every situation in life. Life Purpose, identity, uh, belonging, and meaning can only be attained when one recognizes who Jesus is. You know, I think one of the saddest things that we experience, and we're experiencing it this week, uh, most of y'all will, you'll be someplace, you'll hear someone curse and they'll say Jesus, but they don't say it in reverence, so they use it as a curse word. They have no idea of the power that is in that name of Jesus because they demoted the name of Jesus to a curse word. And the Bible says it's at the name of Jesus that everyone will bow one day in heaven. There will be those who will willingly bow. And then there are those who will bow because they recognize at that point who is supreme, 
whose kingdom is the one that will remain standing when every single thing else is done and passed. John was with Jesus for those three years. And the major emphasis in the gospel, in this letter that we read uh, in 1 John, that John pointed out, John wanted us to understand the deity of Jesus. Did you know that in the Gospel of John that John wrote, there was a major emphasis that John focused on in the Gospel of John? You know what that was? It was the humanity of Jesus. In the Gospel of John, it is the humanity of Jesus, but in John's epistle of 1 John, its focus is on the deity of Jesus. Jesus was God And Jesus was man, he was both. And Jesus was both God and man in the truest meaning of the the, the term. You know, his deity and his humanity were perfectly proportioned and balanced. He was God manifest in flesh to such an extent that we cannot tell where his deity ends and his humanity begins. Nor where his humanity ends and his deity begins. You cannot tell which is which. It's so blended perfectly together. As we trace his life on earth as recorded in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we will never note him acting now as God And then acting now as man. He always acted as God and he always acted as man. I want you to kind of pick up a little bit on what I mean by this picture. Because most of y'all will know this. You won't need the scripture references even though I'll I'll let you, uh, I'll I'll mention them. In John chapter 4 verse 6, we see Jesus now sitting at a well in Samaria. It's Jacob's well. He's been walking with all of the disciples a long time, and it's very hot. So he was tired, the Bible says, um, in John chapter 4, 6, and he sits down. Jesus being tired obviously screams out to us his humanity. He was tired. Along came a woman from a nearby town, He asked her for a drink. Why? He was thirsty, thereby showing more further evidence of his humanity. But within a few minutes of this conversation that he has with this woman, a complete and total stranger, he knew all about her past, for he brought it up and he told her. In a very loving way, thus showing his supernatural insight of the evidence of his deity. Because no one else could do that. Where does one end and where does the other one begin? Or how about this one? We see him in the bottom of a boat. It's Peter's boat. He's been teaching and preaching all day long, so exhausted. He gets in the boat, and he immediately falls asleep. 
I mean, he is really, really tired. Again, showing evidence of his humanity. But shortly after, the boat takes off, and he's still asleep. A huge storm comes on so strong that it threatens the lives of everyone on the boat, and the boat starts to take on water. So they wake Jesus up, and they say to him, aren't you concerned that we're going to perish? And he rebukes the wind and the waves, and it is so still that miles away you can hear the animals and crickets because it's so calm. Proof of his deity. Who could do that? A man couldn't do that. So here he is sleeping, and the next minute he calms it. Where does one begin and where does one end in the deity of who the person of Jesus Christ is? Or you see him at Bethany's house, or at the house in Bethany. His friend Lazarus has just died, and they've already buried his body. His sisters were inconsolable. They were completely despondent. They were so broken that the Bible says Jesus observing how they felt, we read the shortest verse in the entire Bible. John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. He didn't weep because Lazarus died. He knew Lazarus died. What broke his heart was how the hearts of Mary and Martha, their hearts were broken. And it broke his heart. The Bible says when he did that, he was troubled um, and he groaned in his spirit, evidence of his humanity. And then it wasn't not long at all, he goes out and he tells others to remove the stone and they put up a little bit of resistance. But Lord, he's been dead for four days if you smell right now, you can even smell it. He's decomposing. And Jesus says, remove the stone. And they're looking at each other. This is crazy. But because that's what he wants. Okay. And then they removed it. He says, he shouts, Lazarus, come forth. And like a mummy walking out of a cave, wrapped up in the grave clothes, is Lazarus. Thus showing that a man did not just raise Lazarus. It was God that raised Lazarus. See, from beginning to end, we see him as both God and we see him both as man. He was the God-man. Did you know that six times in this epistle... John uses the term born of God. Now, this was not an idea that John had invented himself. He had heard Jesus use these same words. Remember what Jesus said? Except a man be born again, Jesus said, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Whosoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, as John says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. My friend, I am here to tell you, if you want to know what the gospel is, the gospel, the first and most important thing about the gospel is in recognizing and remembering 
The gospel is a person. The person is Jesus. Now, in your bulletin, after all four points, I had a, uh, I put in a supportive uh, um, thought that ties in each one of these points. And that first supportive thought, uh, when you read and you think about who the person is, as far as representing the gospel, the disciples did not hear about Jesus. They heard Jesus. And the reason why we can take their word for it is because just like in a court of law, you're listening to the witnesses. These were those who were there. And John is saying to everyone, and he's saying to us, we were there. We were there. And just as the transformation happened in the lives of all of the disciples after the crucifixion took place, going from cowards, because they knew they were next, they were all hiding out, to being transformed into the biggest, boldest witnesses for Jesus. None of them denied their faith. They were all eventually, one by one, martyred. They were murdered because of their faith. What threw the switch in their life that would cause someone to go from a complete coward, because they don't want to die like Jesus died, to being the most bold-faced person to preach about the person of Jesus? It was the disciples. Why? They saw him after he rose from the dead. They were still with him for those 40 days, off and on. It changed them. The gospel is a person. Second, the gospel is purity. In Romans 1.21, we read the verse when Paul said to the Romans, For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give Him thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Now this verse is the very opposite of what purity is. It is in this verse right here that Paul is talking about. He is referring to the Romans, and he is talking about the fall of man and just how much man has distorted, trashed, and, and completely uh, made a mockery in every single thing God has done and the limits that he has established about proper relationships and how mankind has turned it completely 100% upside down it shows God's response to man's approach at redefining God's standard of how we're to live regarding morality and it gives us a look into how we see things versus how God sees things the gospel is a gospel of purity in 1 John chapter 1, in verses 4 through 9, we read these words. And these things we write, so that our joy may be made complete. And this is the message we have heard from Him, and we announce to you, God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, and yet we walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, 
And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now John tells us something here about God. He says that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. None. Zero. There is no darkness. But we also read in John 3.19 what Jesus had to say about us when Jesus said, This is the judgment that the light is come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. The Bible makes it very clear that God is light. An example. Kind of, a, of, of, a, of one picture. You want to know what God is like? He is light. There's no darkness at all. But we refuse the light. We, we turn the light switch off. We would rather have it off every time. Because the Bible says Jesus said that men loved the darkness more than they loved the light. And sadly, we will spin things around just like the people in Rome did. Thus the reason why Paul wrote what he wrote in that verse that we just looked at in Romans 1.21. We will spin things around and we will try to get another viewpoint. Well, this is what this really means. And we would take something that is so pure, and we will just make it garbage. We will always cling to that which is harmful, and we will always run to that thing that will kill us. But the good news, the really, really, really good news, is that the gospel is pure. It's pure. God says, John says, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Now, I want you to think about that. Just think about light for a moment. What an amazing and wonderful thing light is. Darkness can never drive out light. Now think about it. But light always drives out darkness. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Darkness can never drive out light. No matter how much it tries, it can't happen. But light will always take over darkness. Every time. Every, every single time. There can be no fellowship between light and darkness. And God, the Bible says, is like light. Also, another great property of light is that light cannot be defiled. Even though light were to pass through, say, a glass of muddy water, and it's exposing all the defilement that's in the water, and you can see it in that glass of, of muddy water, the light that is going through it, it's not defiled. The light reveals the defilement, but the light itself is not defiled. The light going into it and the light coming out of it is pure 100% light. 
God is like light. He is pure. Life as we know it craves light. Even those of you that work outside in your house, you'll notice when you plant plants, a lot of times a plant will bend itself toward the light. That's how uh, God has made everything. That is the same with us. And just like the properties of light, God is without blemish. And because we prefer darkness over light, we're in trouble. But this is where the cross comes into play, isn't it? Because of the cross, as God reveals to us our grave situation that we find ourselves in, He tells us, as, he, as we have read in these verses, that He is willing, in this first John passage, He is willing to reveal and to forgive all of our sins. As the qualities of light, He sees everything about us, and yet His desire is to do what? Remove your sins and put them away. That's his desire. That is God's desire. And until it becomes your desire, you will keep your own sins. And you will have to pay for those sins one day. God is up there and God is saying, listen, I've already paid for those. Just embrace my son. Surrender your life. Follow my son. And all of that penalty... All of those sins, it's, it's gone. It's gone. I'm going to replace your life with my son's life. And that is why we have the comfort and the assurance of knowing that when we ask Christ to be our Savior and Lord and we commit our lives to following him as such, we have moved out of death into life. The gospel takes broken pieces and makes them masterpieces. The gospel is purity. Number three, the gospel is a promise. Now, when you look at 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse, verses 1 through 3, this is what we will read. My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for those of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. You know, you'll see this one up on the screen. In Romans 10, 9, Paul said, If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. The gospel is a promise. You know, the gospel promises that we will be forgiven if we will turn and trust in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Not ourselves, not our good works, not whatever. It's in him. The Bible also says right here, you have an advocate. In other words, right now, in God's court of law, you have an attorney that is representing your case to his father. You know who that is? It's Jesus. Now, I don't know how all that works out. I just believe it. One day we're going to get to see how all that works. But we have an advocate. And that advocate is daily going to the Father 
on behalf of you and me. Again, I don't know how that works. I just believe it because the Bible says so. He is an advocate. The Bible says he stands at the throne of God. Imagine that. Jesus himself is our primary counselor and advocate. Now, we are reminded here that sin is not to be the habit and the life of a believer. All believers are born again. All believers are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And they are possessed of a new heart and they have become a partaker of a new nature. This is what happens to everyone that becomes a Christian. It would be incorrect to believe or say that a believer is not able to sin. Because we, we know that. That's common sense. That would be incorrect. It would, however, be true to say that a believer is able not to sin. And why? Because who lives inside of you? Now, we don't walk around sinless, but the Bible does say we have the ability to live a life now of victory over sin because of the one who is in us. It is because we have the means of victory over sin at our disposal. Who? It's the Son of God, the Savior, the Word of God, right here, to be our guide and the Spirit of God who indwells and empowers us to be victorious over this thing we call sin. You know, the promise of the gospel is this. Romans chapter 6 makes it clear that Jesus died not only for us, but the Bible says He died as us. I will say it again. He did not just die only for us, but He died as us. Y'all, when He died on that cross, He's dying the death that you and I are supposed to die. He is dying the death that would be yours and it would be mine to die, being separated from God forever because of our sinful nature. He didn't just die for us, which He did, but the Bible says He died as us. Now that's, that's a powerful thought. We who were once dead in sin, we are now dead to sin. As John says right here, this is the promise. This is the promise. Positionally, and so far as God is concerned, you are clean. You are clean. Right now, right now, your sin nature before God in heaven, right now, you're as righteous as His Son Jesus was righteous. Is that not a mind-blown right there? When you became a Christian, God removed your life, and He filled your life with His Son. And for that and that alone, you are now seen by God as righteous. And that's the promise. That is the promise that we read. A supportive point on this is simple. What I do doesn't give me worth, but what I am does. The gospel is a promise. The gospel is not only a person, 
The Gospel is not only pure, the Gospel not only gives us a promise, but the Gospel is a pursuit. In Philippians 1.6, Paul said, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. We are all... Uh, we are a building in progress. We are all under construction. Every single one of us. And just like a building, if it gets the wrong material, it needs to be ripped out and rebuilt. It's the same for all of us when we make the bad decisions and God says, you know what? That's not good enough. And we have to work on those areas in our life to be built up to become the person that God wants us to be. It's a pursuit. It is a constant pursuit. No one, no one can ever say, I've arrived. It's a pursuit. And 1 John chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, it says this. The one who says, I have come to know him, I have come to know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. We know that the life of a believer is always going to be marked, um, observed in the way in which one lives it. We know that. We know that. It's very interesting to see that for those who would say, oh, I know Jesus, I know Jesus, that if the Apostle John was here, and if you were to say to John, oh, yeah, I know Jesus, you know what John would say? I don't know if I, if I believe that. Prove it. That's what John would do. If John were around, and you went up to him, and you said, oh, I know the Lord, he would say, show me. That was John's nature. Remember, John became the apostle known as the the disciple of love. But in the New Testament, how do we see John? He was one mad, hacked off, ticked off individual. Jesus, using sense of humor, Jesus gave John a nickname. He called him a son of thunder. That was John's nature. And then we see the transformation in John's life, and he goes from this son of thunder to the gospel of uh, the, 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 uh, the disciple of love. Because in 1 John, the whole book, five chapters, it is about mercy, love, and forgiveness. But you want to see John get riled up? Go up to him and tell him that you know the Lord. Go up and tell him that you have a relationship with Jesus, but when you walk out of church, you go out and you live like the rest of the world. And John would say, liar! It's not going to stand up with John. That's the one time you're going to see him revert back into his old nature. He's going to let you have it because it's, 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 it's untrue. It's a lie. The gospel is a pursuit. That pursuit is the way in which we are living our lives. We're either getting closer to being like Jesus, y'all, or we're getting farther away and forgetting what he even looks like. And God's desire, his want, 
is for us to move towards the cross, is to move to be more like Jesus. It is to be captivated by representing the person of who Jesus is by how he thought, how he acted, the words that he used. The gospel is most definitely a pursuit. Did you know that that word abide, because that's John's favorite word. Now remember, that was his favorite word, but he was inspired by the Holy Spirit when he wrote what he wrote. We know that too. So where is this really coming from? Consider that word abide. The idea of abide registered with John more than anyone else. The word he uses for abiding is the word that means to dwell. It means to remain or to continue as. That's what that word abide means. You will find this word and the gospel of John used 41 times. And in his three epistle letters, and remember 2 John and 3 John, they're just one chapter. In fact, it's not even a chapter. It's like that much. I mean, it's not big at all. And just those three chapters, you will see the usage of the word abide used by John 26 times. Now you say, well, why is that such a big deal? Here's the big deal. The Lord used an analogy of that word abiding, did he not? Y'all know which one it is. When Jesus referred to himself as the vine, and we are the what? We are the branches. He is the vine, we are the branches, he said. A branch simply remains where it belongs. It is attached to the vine. The life of the vine flows through the branch and makes it possible for the branch to put forth leaves, flowers, and, and bear fruit. The believer is thus placed as a branch. That's you and that's me. We are placed as a branch in the vine who is Christ. And we are expected to simply allow the life that comes from Christ to flow through us. Some of us get impatient because we want to be bigger than we are at this moment. You'll get there. You'll get there. The more you will yield yourself to Him, the more of His life He will allow to flow through you. And that's how it works. No great athlete becomes a great athlete just because he wants to be a great athlete. He will work at it. He's not going to go to CC's and eat. He's going to train himself. He's going to discipline himself. And the more he aligns himself to being what he wants to be, he's going to reach that goal. The gospel is a pursuit. And God wants every single one of us. Y'all, we don't ever retire for Jesus. Your retirement is one second after you die and you're in glory. That's when you can relax. God is wanting to use everyone to accomplish this picture that we call the gospel and giving that gospel message to all of our friends and to all of our family members who don't know Jesus. So what is the gospel? The gospel is a person. 
The gospel is pure. And the gospel comes with a promise. And the gospel is a pursuit. It is Christ in me, the hope of glory. Let's pray. Father, we just want to come before you this morning. And God, we want to thank you for all that you are doing and all that you have done. You know, Lord, every single one of us in this room, at one time, we've been hit with the truth of what the gospel is. If there's a visitor here today and they've never heard of the gospel, then they've heard it today. And God, just like everyone else, Lord, we have to choose to decide on what we're going to do with that gospel. Lord, you've said that as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become children of God, even to those that just believe on his name. Lord, we believe on your name, and we know who you are, and we know what you can do. And God, you said, you told us, you have come to seek and to save that which was lost. Well, Lord, what was lost? It was all of us in this room. It's everyone outside the walls of this building. That's the whole world. We're all lost. And unless we come to you and experience that transformation in our lives by accepting you, God, we're going to remain lost. So, Lord, if there is anyone here today and they don't know for certain that they have uh, eternal life, that their sins have been forgiven, that they don't know 100% that they're going to go to heaven when they die, God, you can change that. And that can change quickly if they're willing to just go to you. And I pray, God, if there's anyone like that today, Lord, just encourage them to come on down here and speak to any one of us or anyone at the end of this aisle, the, the, uh, the prayer team. Father, we just want you to know that we believe in the gospel. Lord, we know the power of the gospel, and we ask, God, that you would help us to remember what the gospel means and what we're to do with it this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.